everyone. Our first Bible reading today is 2 Samuel 5 verses 1 to 10. All of the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, on that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who were David's enemies. That is why they say, the blind and lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the air around it from the, ter from the terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. We're continuing on on the same page, chapter 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ahio walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his reverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the Ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the Ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark from God, from, of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. 
They brought the ark of the Lord and set in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls and of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from this house when when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. I want you to picture two different churches. The first church, you walk in through the doors. It's quite a traditional church, stained glass windows. And you walk in and you immediately get a sense that there is a deep reverence to the place. The people in that church know they are meeting with the holy, true God. The hymns are the hymns to an organ with, with deep lyrics. People are even dressed well, not because they want to show off, but because they know they're somewhere important. Uh, there's moments of quiet contemplation and confession of sin. And you just leave knowing that these are people who really know and have reverence before God. That's the first church service. The second church service, you enter, and as you're walking up the steps, you hear pop music playing in the background. You walk in, and, and you're just struck by how joyful everyone is. You're welcomed, you're greeted, and then the church service begins. There's drums, there's guitars, and there's just a sense of joy. Uh, people are clapping. There's even people cheering, and you see some people dancing. And you leave that church service knowing these are people who are rejoicing. They're celebrating. They really are overjoyed with who God is and what he's done. Two church services. Let me ask you, which would you prefer? Which would you prefer? I've been a pastor for long enough to know there's probably in this room different opinions about which one you prefer. I get emails from people saying, I wish our church was more like the first type. I wish our church was more like the second type. Perhaps you're thinking, about that first church, how dull, how formulaic, where's, where's the passion, where's the life, where's the energy? Or maybe you're thinking about that second church, how irreverent, so casual, this is the living God we're meeting with. Well, what if it was both? What if it was both? When we meet with God, when we worship him, we, we need both. We need reverence but also rejoicing. We're to be in awe and trembling, but also celebrating. And that's what we see in our story today. In our story today, we see King David. He's just become king, and he effectively runs two worship services in our story today. Effectively runs two worship services, and we see that we need to be people of reverence and also rejoicing. It all 
is centered around the question for us, how should we worship God? I'm not just talking about worship in church or worship in church music. As Christians, we worship God with our whole lives. We live our whole lives in the presence of God. So how should we live in the presence of God, worshipping him? The story goes like this. David has decided to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem, God's capital city. If you don't know what the ark of God is, it was essentially a big wooden box covered in gold. And this box, God had told the Israelites in the Old Testament to build when he rescued them out of Egypt. The box, the ark, represented the presence of God. It symbolized the presence of God. Inside were the the two stone tablets God gave Moses on Mount Sinai and other uh, important things. And look how it's described. 2 Samuel 6 verse 2. 2 Samuel 6 verse 2, it says, David and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, capital N, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. So this ark, this box, it's it's called by the name of God. God's name represents his glory, his, his honor, his holiness. This isn't just any random box. And on the, on, the car, on the ark is the cherubim, the angels, and God is on the throne in between them. In other words, God is, his throne is in heaven, but this is like his footstool on earth. This ark is a big deal. So David wants to bring the ark to Jerusalem because he loves God. He wants God's presence in the city of Jerusalem. He wants to worship God. Now, the ark was currently in someone's basement, Abinadab's basement, probably in his pool room, sitting there, forgotten for about 20 years because King Saul, the previous king, didn't really care about it. But David is different. He cares about God's presence. And so he sends all these men to get this ark, bring it to Jerusalem, and as he does that, we see some crazy stuff happen. See, we've got to listen to this story. Because we've got to think about how should we worship God? How should we live in the presence of God? Because if we get that question wrong, the consequences are literally life or death. How should we worship God? How should we live in the presence of God? Four things. Firstly, to live in the presence of God, we need reverence. We need reverence. I said before, it's effectively a worship service. They're bringing the ark up to Jerusalem. They're singing, they're worshipping, and then everything goes wrong. Look at verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. In this morning's service, the Bible reader who was reading this passage came up to me before church and said, is this really right? Verse 6 and 7, God struck down Uzzah? I mean, how should I read this? She was just shocked. She couldn't even read the passage before she understood what it meant. And it is shocking. I mean, you would think, I mean, Uzzah's there, and and Uzzah's not a random bystander, by the way. He's running the whole thing. 
you would think when he went to catch that ark that God would say to him, good job, mate, good reflexes. Thank you, you caught it, you made sure it didn't fall on the ground. Instead, wham, God kills him there on the spot. Worship service over. Talk about an awkward end to a worship service. And it is shocking. There's stories like this that, that I think point to the reliability of the Bible. Because if someone was wanting to market God and make this as, you know, palatable to people's ears, you wouldn't include a story like this. Even David's angry. He's yelling at God, God, what the heck? What's the deal? Why is God doing this? Why did he do this? Now, in one sense, God doesn't really owe us an explanation, does he? He's God. He doesn't owe us an explanation for what he does and why he does it. Do you believe that? But I do think we can see why God did this in this passage. See, Uzzah had made two big mistakes. Two big mistakes. Firstly, Uzzah had forgotten God's holiness. He'd forgotten God's holiness. God is the holy, perfect, pure, glorious God. Totally unlike us. And this ark represented his presence. And God is angry, verse 7, because of his irreverent act. He is not revering God's holiness. Here's what you need to know. God, in other parts of the Bible, had given clear instructions about how this ark was to be transported. It was to be carried on poles. It was to be covered. In places it says that even if you look at it, you would perish. And here they are, and they're actually carrying the ark the same way the Philistines carry the ark in 1 Samuel when they nicked it. I um, was driving this week. I passed someone who was transporting a sofa, and they just shoved it into their boot. And uh, it was, you know, hanging out the back. The boot door was wide open. And you got the sense that, you know, they were driving, and they basically said, ah, yeah, she'll be right. You know, shove in the sofa. She'll be right. It'll do the job. It's pretty much what Uzzah and David have done. They've had to transport this ark of God, and they've gone, ah, yeah, she'll be right. Just chuck it on this cart here. That'll do the job. But God is not to be messed with. They're also, they knew that they were never to even touch it. Never to even touch the ark. Did you see this last week that someone went and smeared cake on the Mona Lisa? You see that? This is the most famous painting in the world. You know, untouchable. Millions of people go and see it. Paint smeared on the glass shield and people are shocked. It's the Mona Lisa. How much more shocking is it that someone would touch the ark of God? See, God's holiness is dangerous. God is dangerous. We dare not be casual with him. He's the one who made all things, who knows all things, all-knowing, all-powerful. 
Now, we're the nation that is irreverent. We're the nation where our Prime Minister Paul Keating shocked the world because he put his arm around the Queen's waist. We're a nation that doesn't use titles. None of you calls me Pastor Andrew. Where's the respect? Come on. (laughs) Reverend Andrew. This is what we're like as Aussies. But we dare not be like that with God. We dare not be like that with God. The second mistake Uzzah makes, the first one is forgetting God's holiness. The second is underestimating his sin. Uzzah, like you, like me, is a sinner. And sin is not just doing wrong things. It is rejecting and offending the God of the universe. And sin cannot be in the presence of a perfect God. Transport yourself back to a year ago when there wasn't much COVID around. Um, And, you know, if you found out that there was someone coming over for dinner who was COVID positive... You would not let them come into your home. You would not want to be in the presence of them. You wouldn't shake their hand. You wouldn't hug them. And if they said to you, oh, it's just a bit of COVID, it's all good, it's just a little bit, you'd be like, no way. You know, back in those days, if someone visited Coles Neutral Bay five days ago, anyone who'd come within the last month had to be tested. Now, how much more? We can't say to God, oh, God, it's just a bit of sin. It's just, just, it's just a bit of sin. I mean, there's other people that are more sinful. It's just a little bit. Surely I can be in your presence. No, sin cannot exist in the presence of God. See, Uzzah, he probably thought that if he grabbed the ark, he was doing a good thing because it would stop the ark from being polluted by the ground. But the ground hadn't sinned. It was dirty, but... It hadn't sinned, but his hands were the hands of a sinner. Maybe you think, oh, isn't God a God of mercy? Couldn't he have just given Uzzah a second chance? No, actually, the better question is, why was God so merciful? Why didn't he strike Uzzah down before? Every day that we are given is a gift that we don't deserve. The fact I'm standing here and haven't been struck down for my sin is only because of God's mercy, only because of God's grace. God, in his patience, gives us all a chance to come to him, receive his forgiveness, receive his grace. Our sin is serious. It's so serious, Uzzah had to die. It's so serious, Jesus had to die. Perhaps there's a sin in your life that you've grown comfortable with. God, it's just a little bit of gossip. It's just a little bit of porn. It's just a little bit of greed. God is dangerous, church. And for those of you here who haven't yet become a Christian, can I say I'm so glad you're here? I'm so glad you're here. I'm going to encourage you to keep exploring who Jesus is. Because the day will come 
and it is judgment day. And God is dangerous. He is not to be messed with. And on that day, it will be too late. But the beautiful thing about being a Christian is, yes, we're to fear God, but we don't have to be terrified. We do not have to be terrified because we know we're forgiven. We know we're loved. We know we're his child. We have confidence. We fear him. We revere him. But we don't have to be terrified. That's the first thing we need. Coming into the presence of God, worshipping him, reverence. The next three we're going to do a lot quicker. Number two, sacrifice. Sacrifice. David, he's so freaked out by what happens. He sees Uzzah drop dead. He basically puts this whole ark thing, this ark project, in the too hard basket. This is, well, this is freaky. I'm not going to give this a go. So he sends the ark off to his mate's house, Obed-Edom. And, you know, Obed's got his mates coming over for a barbie, and his, his friends say to Obed, hey, Obed, what's with this big box sitting in your living room? And Obed says, look, I don't know. My friend David gave me this box. All I know is ever since I got it, life is going really well for me. I mean, just everything's looking up. And that's what happens when you're in the presence of God, you're blessed. You're blessed. So David hears about his friend Obed-Edom and how he's just getting blessed. And David, he wants in on that. And so he says, I'm going to give it another go. I'm going to give it another go. Bring the ark back to Jerusalem. Only this time, he's learned his lesson. So this time they transport it correctly. They use poles. And look at the big change. Halfway through verse 12. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Every six steps, David sacrificed a bull or a calf. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that God had asked his people to make sacrifices for their sin. Sacrifices of animals dying in their place so they could be forgiven. I love it. Something dies on both roots. Uzzah dies the first root. The animals die the second. But because of those sacrifices they made for their sins, they brought the ark successfully to the city of Jerusalem. Mission accomplished. David, before this, he'd asked a question in verse 9. Verse 9, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? How could I, a sinful person, ever be in the presence of God? That's the right question for us all to ask. How can we sinful people ever be in the presence of God without becoming like Uzzah? I don't want to end up like Uzzah. The answer? Sacrifice. Only for us, it's not the sacrifice of animals, but the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us, for our sins, paying the price we deserve to pay so we could be forgiven. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have confidence to be in the presence of God 
We don't have to worry about being like Uzzah because we know we're forgiven through his blood. Let me ask you, have you accepted his sacrifice? There is no other way, friends. There is no other way to be in his presence. The only way we can be friends with God is by trusting the perfect sacrifice of Christ. Number three, joy. Joy. Uh, Look at verse 14 and the joy that David has. It says this, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpet. Those of you in the room who are fans of liturgical dance in church, this is your verse. No, I'm joking. I don't think it really is. I don't think this is really saying that we need to have you know, set liturgical dances that we you know, recite every Sunday. But it is interesting. Look, David, he's dancing. He's there. I don't know what he's doing. You know, the robot or the, the nutbush or the, the floss. Or, is that it? Floss? The floss? Is that it? Is that right? Anyway. Leon? Floss? No, anyway. Um, I won't try and do it. Um, He's there, he's just, he's ripping it up on the dance floor. There's singing, there's horns, there's even shouting. Such joy. Remember the two churches I told you about at the beginning? This is the second church. Celebration. And I want to ask you, do you worship God with this kind of joy? David knew he was in the presence of God. He knew the sacrifice had been paid, he'd be forgiven. You know, I think it's sad that so often we show more enthusiasm at a football game than we do worshipping God. And I know, you know, there's different personalities in the room. We're made different ways. We're wired different ways. And in not every church context is the same. I mean, you go to, you know, 8 a.m. church here and start headbanging to the hymns and, you know, you'd probably be kicked out. But it's still worth asking, Would people describe you as someone who has deep joy and rejoicing, celebration in who God is and what he's done? The Bible is filled with examples of bodily posture in worship, clapping, raising hands in in awe and surrender, kneeling, standing in awe. David's there, he's dancing, he's clapping, course you can't fake it. It's got to come from a heart, a heart that knows the depths of our sin and knows how much we've been forgiven by the Holy God. To be in the presence of God, reverence. We need a perfect sacrifice. We need joy. And lastly, humility. David's there doing the robot, dancing. He's ripping it up, and someone's watching him. Michal, daughter of Saul. She sees him dancing. She despises him in her heart. And she says, verse 20, when David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David's saying, look at you, David, you're pathetic. 
This is not how a king behaves. You're not even dressing your kingly attire. You're just wearing a linen ephod. You're dancing. Kings don't dance. And look what David says. Verse 21. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house that he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. What's David saying? He's saying, I don't care what you think of me, Michal. I don't care about my reputation. I'm dancing before the Lord. I'm celebrating before the Lord. And guess what? I'm willing to become even more undignified. I'm willing to be humiliated even more before everyone watching because I am filled with joy. I'm dancing before God. Isn't that amazing? It emphasizes Michal as the daughter of Saul. She represents Saul's household, the ones opposed to God, the previous king. But David, he's the one chosen by God. He lives for an audience of one. So how people would describe you as someone so consumed by desire to honor God, whatever the cost, whatever it does to your reputation. Or are you too afraid to show emotion in church because you're worried about what people will think of you? Are you too afraid to talk about Jesus to your colleagues because you're worried about your reputation? David says, I don't care about my reputation. I'm willing to be humiliated in my eyes as I celebrate before God. And the story ends saying that Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. There's all kinds of interpretations scholars have about that. Some say that it was a punishment by God. Some others say this is just uh, the narrator saying that the household, the lineage of Saul is finishing and the lineage of David is continuing. All kinds of interpretations. What is clear is that Bical is concerned for her reputation. David, he's dancing for, for an audience of one. Church, praise God that we get to live in the presence of God, the holy, precious, glorious King of Kings. He is dangerous, a consuming fire. But we don't have to be terrified because we know we're his children. But what do we need? Reverence. We dare not mess with him. We dare not tolerate our sin. We need a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of Christ once and for all. We should have joy, rejoicing in his presence. And we should have humility, doing everything we can to see him magnified, see him honoured, no matter what it does to our reputation. That's what we see in David. He's a worshipper. Let's be a church here at 4 p.m. with that same love, 
a worshipping congregation wanting to give God all the honour, all the praise that he so deserves. Amen? Let's pray. God, holy, holy, holy are you. There is no one like you. Please forgive us for our sin. And thank you that you save us by your blood. Help us to revere you. Help us to treasure you, to rejoice in you, and humble ourselves before you. We thank you that we can live each moment of our lives in your presence. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.